welcome to Off Screen Let's Get Cinematic. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Another week, another round of movies on the couch, eh, Bex? Oh, you know what? I'm getting used to it. I'm not complaining. There is so much out there. <laughs> you know what? It's like a never ending cinematic role, isn't it? It really is. I just, I, I've forgotten what the, what seeing movies in cinemas is actually like at this stage. But uh, you know what? We've got movies fr- that should be in cinemas on home platforms. As always, we've got uh, four new releases that are coming to on, to coming to digital platforms this week that we can talk about. Our first one, though, a bit of an exception uh, for us, I think. Yeah, so this is Artemis Fowl, and it's actually joining the Disney Plus family. Uh, you might have seen a lot of information about this coming out. It's quite highly hyped. Van, you've already caught it. What did you think? In a word, foul. So this is the latest film from <laughs> director Sir Kenneth Branagh. Uh, in, and this time around, Sir Ken, having forgotten uh, every shred of the style and grace that he brought to, for instance, Cinderella, and a property as ludicrous as Thor that he somehow managed to make work, has decided to spend 125 million Disney bucks on turning a popular young adult novel series into what can effectively be called Jupiter ascending for kids. So this stars a relatively unknown Irish actor named Ferdia Shaw as 12-year-old uh, sort of prodigy slash child genius Artemis Fowl II. Artemis Fowl II is the most intelligent young boy who's ever lived. He's so smart that he doesn't have to bother changing the tone of his voice at any point, and he doesn't have to bother developing a personality. And he goes on an adventure to save the world from fairies, effectively. So... You enjoyed it then? Oh, I thought it was absolutely wonderful for what it was. No, I'm kidding. It was absolutely <laughs> god awful. I'll tell you what. Let's, let, let's, let's hear this for ourselves. Could your father have ever given you a clue as to where to start? He never told me how to start. But he may have told me how to end. End? Yeah. He read the same poem to me every night before bed and every time he left. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rains fall soft upon your fields. Who wrote this poem, Artie? Nobody knows. That's just it. Then how do you find it? It's known as the Irish Blessing. It's a journal. It's Dad's journal. Is it something that actually is not one for you, but maybe it's for the kids, they're going to enjoy this, or does it even go beyond those boundaries? It goes beyond those boundaries. So obviously, you know my benchmark for awful temples was set at the end of last year by Cats. This year so far, it's been set by Doolittle. I can tell you that were this actually released theatrically rather than shunted to Disney+, Plus, this would have taken the title of the worst temple of 2020 thus far. It's a film that if a nine-year-old watched it, they would get bored, they would immediately hit the menu button on their TV, they would go back into the Disney Plus menu, and they would simply flick over to the nearest Avengers movie they could find. I've never read the novel However, a dear friend of mine is a fanatic of these novels. I told him what happens in this, and I think I may have blown the fuse in his head. Apparently, it bears no resemblance. It is god-awful. It's Sir Ken doing Matthew Vaughan in a litter of awful CGI. It all looks like the fairies did in Maleficent. You know, those awful CG fairies. Yeah. The three. three. Yeah. All looks like that. The, the plot is convoluted. It has to be narrated by Josh Gad in order for it to make sense. If you remove his narration, this would just be a 
series of random events taking place. The cast are all terrible. Fadia's Shaw is so bad, he makes Sam Worthington's heyday look accomplished. And as for Judy Dench, I can't even describe what's going on with that woman post-cat. This is like fairy Deirdre Barlow in a Green Goblin costume. It is awful. It's, it's one of the worst things I've sat and watched all year. So it, it, it might genuinely be the worst thing I've seen since Cats. Avoid this one. Like the plague, no thumbs. Thumbs hacked off, no thumbs. What a way to kill a kid's career before it's even started. You heard it right here first, Van Connor. They're not enjoying Artemis Fowl in the slightest. Shall we move on? There's another film on our list, isn't there? <laughs> yes, You Don't Know Me, which is a documentary from Jeffrey McHale about the, the legacy and the reception to Shogun. The iconic 1995 blockbuster Bomb, directed by Paul Verhoeven and written by Joe Esterhaus. Now, obviously, as you know, I'm a big fan of Showgirls, and even I couldn't tell you if it's good or bad. Please tell me that Elizabeth Berkley is in this as well. Right, Elizabeth Berkley, Paul Verhoeven, Carl McLaughlin, etc. Everyone involved in the film, largely, are only seen through archival footage and archival interviews. There is a great moment, though, uh, when you see Elizabeth Berkley actually turn up to a fan screening of it and, and get the response that she was denied in the mid-90s. Let me, let me give you, let me set the tone for you. People are much more inclined to think that it's nearly criminal to portray sex. Sexuality is part of our life and we should not be afraid of it. I used to love Doggy Chow. I used to love Doggy Chow too. You can't believe they're trying to sell us this. You never know what's going to become a cult film. For those of us that get it, it can become our religion. This is a role that does not come around that often. It's weird having that protagonist as a character that's so cathartic. I'm Nomi Malone. Nice dress. Thanks to Versace. And the worst picture of the decade is Showgirls! Showgirls, but not Showgirls. No Elizabeth Berkeley, but there is Elizabeth Berkeley. And she finally gets the reception that she's been dreaming of for this. Just as she's about to step into Save by the Bell, the reboot. I mean, it's all I going know. on. <laughs> well, the, obviously, the, the, her, her you know, reputation having come from Save by the Bell, obviously, things like that, that does come up and that does play into it. And there's a lot of exploration of actresses who come from wholesome TV sitcom backgrounds like Selena Gomez, Lindsay Lohan, people like that, and how they do the raunchy role in their careers and things like that. The, the documentary has a lot to say. It does not make a decision for you or draw a conclusion as to whether or not Showgirls is the piece of crap that we're always told it is, or if it's a misunderstood masterpiece, if it's a great work of satire. Everybody involved has a different answer. Presumably only Paul Verhoeven actually knows the truth. The film allows you to make up your own mind on the matter. I thought it was a really insightful time. It was so insightful to me that the minute I was finished, I flicked right over to Amazon Prime and started watching Showgirls again. And you know what? I like That's the most I've ever enjoyed it, and I already liked Showgirls. It's a disaster but it's an enjoyable disaster. And actually, if it encourages you to kind of go back and revisit the earlier work, then it's kind of doing its job. So it's not such a bad thing. So how do you rate You Don't Know Me? I would give it two thumbs up because for me, it absolutely did its job well. Fantastic. Okay, right, let's move on again because we've got a couple more films on our list that are on digital today, starting with The King of Staten Island. I've, I've heard a little bit about this, but I'm not so sure. Right, so new movie uh, directed and co-written by Judd Apatow. Now, he's co-written this with Pete Davidson, who stars in it. It's a loose autobiographical dramedy, you know, for Davidson about who, in reality, his father died in 9/11. His father was a firefighter who died at the World Trade Center. In, in this version, his father died 17 years early in a, hotel, in a I think it's a hotel fire. This is about the trauma that is inflicted on him. He's now 24 years old. He's unable to, you know, 
grow up and move on with his life, to move out of his home. His younger sister moves off to college and leaves him as the sole kid in the house. Mom starts dating for the first time, happens to date a firefighter, and this just spirals in his mind and leads him to what can only be described as something of a sort of crossroads in his own development. Okay, you don't get to act crazy your whole life just because dad died, okay? At least you got to know him. Well, you're lucky you didn't get to know him, okay? Because that's why you're almost normal. If you got to know him, you would have known that he was, like, the coolest guy ever. And that would have ruined the rest of your life. Okay, like, but what are you going to do? Are you going to get a job or are you going to leave the house? I don't know. I I'm going to open that tattoo restaurant. No, like, for real. I am being real. It's a great, it's never been done before. I looked it up. I Googled it. It's never been done, not even as a joke. Because no one wants to go to a restaurant and watch people get tattooed while they eat. It's gross. It's the best idea ever. Ruby Tattoos Days, where everyone's welcome. Chicken and tattoos. So there's quite a lot going on in this, then. There's a, there's a lot of different sort of streams to the narrative. Mm. So is, does it become a bit convoluted? Or actually, is Judd Apatow pulling out an absolute winner with this? I think it's an absolute win. It's really heartfelt. It's 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 got real nuance to it. Pete Davidson, it turns out, is a genuinely good actor. I was I know him obviously for his sketch work on Saturday Night Live as a personality, sort of in the media. Obviously, most of us think of him as Ariana Grande's ex-boyfriend. Now I mean, he's obviously the focus of the song Pete Davidson. I think he's great. I think this is an absolute winner, and I think it's a star-making turn in the way that The Big Sick was for Kumail a couple of years ago as well, or uh, Trainwreck was for Amy Schumer, both of which obviously have Apatow involved. I would like to see the same for Davidson. I this is the start of you know a whole new phase, a bigger, better phase of his career. Absolute winner for me. Great supporting cast: Bill Burr, Marissa Tomei, Steve Buscemi, Belle Powley, who I'm a very big fan of, especially post Morning Show as well. I know you've seen that as well. Yeah, yeah, she's brilliant in that. And and actually, I wish I'd see more of her in more movies. Actually, so it's great, really great. It's a good pull-in for me to go and watch this movie. In fact, absolutely. Do do check out The King of Staten Island. I think it's an absolutely terrific film. Absolutely worth seeing. Okay, so rounding off our digital digital um, offering state is radioactive as well this again these these are not these big blockbuster movies that you're expecting to see at the cinema these are kind of smaller releases but nevertheless ones not to avoid necessarily well radioactive you and i saw i think this was one of our last screenings together pre-lockdown this was uh, the stars rosamund pike as as marie curie the uh, woman who uh, apparently I'm, I'm told invented radiation and this is the story of how she achieved this groundbreaking she did not actually you know, she discovered radioactive isotopes, discovered radiation. And this is, of course, that famous story, but obviously dramatised and played, you know, as a sort of lustic, awards-friendly period piece. Played with gusto, it's all about her relationship with her husband, her reputation that was then soiled by her her, her relationships with other men after her, her late husband's uh, passing. And, of course, you know, her family and how it all played into her interactions with World War One and her attempts to, to treat troops on the battlefield using portable x-rays. You've been frowning at that all week. I'm observing. What are you looking for? I find it easier to observe when I'm not talking. I measure uranium and I discover less radiations than I do in its ore. The ore is more powerful than the element. Exactly. And I can't there quite work. There must be work. some anomaly in the results. I've run the same test six times. I get identical results. My instinct is that there is another element that's skewing the results. You think you found an undiscovered element? If you're laughing at me, then I'm... No, I'm not laughing at you. That's exciting. This is actually quite a solid film with really good performances. Um, I really enjoyed both, uh, you know, Rosamund Pike and Sam... 
Sam. Oh, I've forgotten his name. Sam. Sam Riley. Sam Riley. Yeah, excellent actor there. Um, but this is the casualty of lockdown. This is the movie that literally did not get a release, and for that reason, has lost a lot of momentum. No, exactly. So check it out because it's actually really interesting. It's interesting to see the story of Marie Curie, her relationship with her husband, as Van said, but also the the discovery of these radioactive isotopes. It wasn't something that I'd kind of go, oh yes, I definitely want to go and catch this straight away. <laughs> But watching it, I was intrigued and I was definitely kept in, engaged throughout this movie. So it's, it is good. Absolutely. I, I, I'm absolutely on the same page as you. I do think it's worth checking. I do think, like you say, it was the great casualty of lockdown. So I think it was due for release that week, I think, as well. And they pulled it very much at the last moment. Crying Shame is worth a watch. I think this is one that will find most of its audience when it hits and it inevitably hits a streaming platform in, say, six months' time. But in the meanwhile, I think anyone looking for a, a rousing, you know, female empowerment drama also happens to be a, a true historical drama absolutely look no further Welcome back to Off Screen. You know what time it is. It's time for some movies on Freeview for the week. So, as a matter of fact, let's start with one that was much hyped as an awards contender. It went on to win some awards as well, including one very specific award for one very specific actress. It is, of course, I think it's 2016's Room, the Lenny Abrahamson drama, based on the, the novel of the same name, and that's on Channel 4 on Saturday night at 11.25pm. Bit of a late start, but you know what? I think for this film, absolutely worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I cannot agree more. And if you're a fan of Lenny Abramson's work, most most notably of late, Normal People, the hugely popular TV show was directed mm. by Lenny. And it's a, if you're a fan of that and you're a fan of his work, you definitely want to check this film out if you haven't seen it before. Brie Larson, brilliant performance in this, Oscar-winning performance in this, but also the star of the star of award season came out to be Jacob Tremblay, who was just, he plays the kid <laughs> in this. He absolutely won everybody's hearts a long award season and absolutely launched his career but to be honest this is a story of a very harrowing tale of a, mm. a, a girl and her her son uh, or is it her brother it's is he son, six it? or I think he's six or it's a son he's six or seven years old and he's been born yeah. in captivity so she is isolated within the room and he's been born there and obviously his, his father obviously is her captor that's, that's the setup and he's about this sort of psychological acclimatisation this confinement that they have you know they've been in for six or seven years I think by the time we by the time we open in the film. I think it's been six or seven years. And it absolutely sends shivers down your spine to think that this is situations like this have actually taken place and this is the big thing. And so the reason why it kind of took off in such a way was because the power that it had behind it as well. Where do you think that old Nick gets our food? From TV by magic. There is no magic. What you see on TV, those are pictures of real things, of real people, it's real stuff. Dora's real for real? No, that's a drawing. Dora is a drawing. The other people have faces like us. Those are pictures of real things. And all the other stuff you see on there, that's real too. That's real oceans, real trees, real cats, dogs. No way! What would they all fit? They just do. They just fit. They just fit out in the world. Jack, come on. You're so smart. I know that you've been wondering about this. Can I have something else to eat? 
like you say, Jacob Tremblay, abs- I'm so shocked he didn't get like Best Supporting Actor nomination for this, but Brie Larson absolutely deserved that Oscar win for this. It's a genuinely towering performance, absolute barnstormer of a turn. I, I'm, I don't think that she's ever particularly followed this up with a role you know, that, that quite rivals it in terms of gravitas and stature. I was very disappointed, for instance, she followed this up with Kong Skull Island, in which she had basically a non-part. And we were really just biding time until she, she got the Marvel role, which is obviously, I think, what she's most known for. Now, there was the glass house in the middle as well, I think, which was uh, a bit of a bit of a whopping dud from uh, Destin Daniel Cretin as well. But his directorial career seems to have wavered as well. Brie Larson, though, in this, absolutely terrific. And, you, you know, you can get to see it for yourself on uh, on Saturday night, Channel 4, 11.25. Like I say, a late one, but a film this good, you can make the allowance, I think. Yep, and moving swiftly on to your Sunday on ITV2 at 9.10pm. This is Tom Cruise like you've never seen him before in this film. It is, of course, Rock of Ages. Van, talk us through the synopsis of Rock of Ages because it is bonkers. And it's obviously that huge stage play as well, musical, that was a a big Mm. hit. But the movie version, it did all right. It did all right. It wasn't quite the financial uh, financial success that they'd really hoped for. I think it, it drastically underperformed. But it is, like I say, you say, it's it's based on the jukebox musical that's become something of a mainstay of the West End and Broadway. You know, jukebox musical based on iconic songs of, you know, 80s rock, uh, songs by the Scorpions and, and Foreigner and Whitesnake and a really, just the kind of music I listen to in the car constantly. That's basically my car playlist as a movie with an all-star cast that includes the likes of, you could say, of Tom Cruise, Paul Giamatti, Alec Baldwin, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Russell Brand, Julianne Hoff. A hell of a roster in there. I think Mary J. Blige is in there as well. Anyone that you can name at that point was in this. And, of course, they're all singing and dancing. This And they do fare a lot better than the cast of Les Mis did around the, around the same time, it's worth saying. But, of course, this is the story of the Bourbon Lounge, a, sort of event, a rock venue that becomes the focal point for a number of characters' stories and, and the adventures they get up to in the heyday of the 80s rock scene in L.A. Stacy Jackson's manager. Hey. You were fantastic tonight, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Let her go. Let her go. Let me ask you something. What do Keith Richards, Jimmy Page, and Stacy Jacks all have in common? Broken hearts and very, very long careers. Now, you want love? Go after it. You might even find it. (laughs) But I can guarantee you something much more rare and a lot more fun, man. What is that? Giamatti there with uh, Diego Benita, I think. Actor I never saw again until I saw uh, Terminator Dark Fate, I think, last year, in which he has a a sort of 10-minute role in there. Oh, yes. Now you say it. I remember it. Now, this week, I mean, I remember getting really, like, up and dancing and wanting to clap my hands. And, you know, I think this, Mm -hmm. this evokes the emotion that it intends to do as a movie. So if you're after that sort of uplift for a Sunday night, then it's probably wrongly placed in terms of the scheduling for this because it should be more a Friday or a Saturday night to get you excited, not when you're winding down ready for the week ahead. But nevertheless, (laughs) it's definitely still worth a watch. 
All I can say is, is if there is like 10 minutes that you want to take out of this, it is to see Tom Cruise like you've never seen him before. It's it's quite a showcase that he gives in this. There is that sequence in which he performs I Want to Know What Love Is, which is something I genuinely never thought I would see Tom Cruise do on screen, <laughs> if I'm really honest. But that's neither here nor there, and you can, you can see this moment for yourself on Sunday night, 10 past 9, on ITV2. But onto one that I am very, very happy I get to talk about, because I've never been able to talk about this movie before. It's never been on telly. I've never been able to talk about it in any other context. It is the near-forgotten Andy Garcia, Michael Keaton 90s thriller, Desperate Measures, in which Andy Garcia is a cop with a son dying in, and in need of a bone marrow transplant who discovers that the only uh, compatible donor is a serial killer on death row, played by Keaton, who uses the transplant procedure as an opportunity to effectively stay Die hard in a hospital. Frank Connor, you know I'm here. My son has leukemia. He will die without a bone marrow transplant. And somehow, somehow, I've been identified as a compatible donor for your son. I was told you volunteered. We're through here. Upstairs! You lied to me, Frank. You were identified by computer match. I broke into the FBI computer system. I violated all state and federal statutes. Grounds for dismissal from the police force. Am I right? I mean, you can't really make these storylines up, can you? It's uh, it's quite incredible. And that is what the 90s was all about. Um, I actually hadn't seen this film, but, you know, I had a little bit of a chat with Van before we went on air. And, and I was like, do you know what? This sounds amazing. It's got everything that I love about 90s movies in it. So if, like me, you're thinking, this is wetting my appetite a little bit, then it's definitely one you're going to want to catch. That'll kick my week off in style, I think. In fact, that's the only downside to that. It is so it's showing on the Paramount movie channel on, on Monday night, but it's showing at 5 past 11. It's a tight and tidy 90 minutes, uh, but it's a good one. I'd say this is one to record, definitely. It's a schlocky, pacey, 90-minute tight thriller. Keaton, uh, just Keaton as a serial killer. I mean, that's worth the movie on its own. And believe me, he really goes for it here, if you know what I mean. Oh, I can just imagine. And those eyebrows pointing in the way that they do. He's got serial killer written all over him. That is a great, great watch for you guys. So this is part one, rounding up nicely with Desperate Measures on Paramount Channel at 11.05 p.m. on Monday. Stick with us. We've got much more movies on TV for you to catch from your Freeview channels that are available. So we'll speak to you very, very shortly. And we're back and we're still on the sofa with you all bringing you the best films that you can catch on your TV at home. So do not worry, we've got you covered. We're going to do something a little bit different to start Tuesday. We've never done this before, Van, we were just saying. Well, have we? This is this is quite incredible. This is a CBBC-led film that we're going to bring you. It's on at 5 <laughs> on Tuesday. And it's a goodie. It's Chicken Run. Who doesn't love Chicken Run? I remember going to see this at the cinema with my dear friend Andy Sharp in, I think it was 1999 or 2000, thereabouts. And of course, the whole logline for this is this is Ardman basically remaking The Great Escape 
with chickens. This is this is a group of a community of, of female chickens who need to escape their farm before they can be turned into chicken pies. And in order to facilitate this escape, their Steve McQueen is none other than Mel Gibson as a circus rooster who's going to teach them to fly and aid their uh, their escape. And obviously, this is this is clearly going to lead to that great escape moment with the bike, but. It's all about that one line of dialogue everyone knows from this movie. Chicken pies? Yes, but I don't want to be a pie. I don't like gravy. Ladies, please, let's not lose our heads. Lose our heads? to say was Rocky sabotaged the machine and bought us more time. And better still, he's going to fly for us tomorrow. And once we've seen how it's done, we'll get it. We know we will. So don't worry, because tomorrow everything's going to come much, much smoother. I don't like gravy. My cousins quote that still to this day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, I I do love this. And actually, I, I remember going away from it going... Do you know what? Mel Gibson should totally do more voice work. He's got the perfect <laughs> voice work for this, hasn't he? I mean, it's Just keep him away from the Prince of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Well, look, we've never brought you a CBBC movie before, but there's always room for things that are new and exciting here on Off Screen. And Chicken Run is a great way to showcase that. Actually, if you were a kid yourself when you first watched this, it's now time to be a big kid and watch it again. And you can catch this Tuesday, CBBC Channel 5:25 p.m. Speaking of new and exciting for us this is a great moment for me because i finally um for for our wednesday pick film for 10 45 p.m i get to talk about a film i absolutely love i think it's the best comedy of at least the last 10 years i think it is this generation's spinal time i know you weren't i know you liked it but you weren't quite as in love with it as i am it is of course pop star never stop never stopping which i think this is the uk tv premiere it is effectively the lonely island movie so you which we're all aware of the comedic band The Lonely Island, who sort of were born out of uh, Saturday Night Live digital shorts and things like that. This is their feature film efforts produced by Judd Apatow, so his second time his name's come up this week. And uh, it's like it stars Andy Samberg, uh, Jorma Tacone, and Akiva, I forget Akiva's surname actually. It is the story of Connor for Real, who is basically a homogenized take on Justin Bieber and Justin Timberlake. It is a mockumentary, it's got a cast that you wouldn't believe. All the way up to Nas, Snoop Dogg, Mariah Carey, everyone's Ringo Starr turns up in this. And you know what? I, I have to say, my first laugh from this movie is I think it's the pre credit sequence where Mariah Carey talks about knowing how to keep things humble. <laughs> <laughs> this is very, very funny. I, it, it doesn't put a step wrong in terms of the sentiment that it's trying to create. Andy Samberg does a brilliant job as the pop star or pop idol. I just think, for me, it's something that I, like you say, enjoyed, but probably didn't push it as far as I could have done. Had I been sat with a group of critics watching this, I think I would have laughed my butt off. And I did sit with a group of critics watching this, and I can tell you, very few laughed, and more than a few of them afterwards genuinely asked me who Justin Timberlake was. So I'm going to give you a clip, and you aren't going to like it. Look, the low record sales is making them nervous. They want to bring on an opening act. 
What? We have an opening act, Owen DJs. Hey, I'm always saying Style Boys could be the opener. No, man, will you stop with that? Dude, people keep blowing up my Twitter about us doing Donkey Roll. Oh, they're blowing up your Twitter? Yeah. How many followers do you have, Owen? Like 500,000. Okay, well, I got 20 million, and no one's asking me to do that. <laughs> Some of those are probably bots. Okay, look, guys, regardless, we still have to decide on an opening act. Man. All right, fine. Does anybody have ideas? One. But you are gonna like it. Wait, did you say R or aren't? R. I love that moment. <laughs> did you say R or aren't? The movie's full of great lines like that. I think it's an absolute barnstorming show. The soundtrack is incredible. I still listen to the soundtrack on regular rotation to this day. Like you mentioned Mariah Carey talking about I'm So Humble. That is a great track. Uh, Pink appears on there. Emma Stone appears on the soundtrack as well, singing Turn Up the Beef. There's a great Linkin Park uh, gag where they do a song called Things in My Jeep. Uh, which is meant to be a sort of early 2000s new metal riff. Great time, solid soundtrack, solid laughs. Can't recommend highly enough. Yeah, and listen, it didn't it didn't really pick up on cinematic release, but actually that doesn't mean that you should avoid it when it's now here on your uh, TV screens. It is worth a watch. It is definitely going to give you a laugh. So it's filmed for 10.45pm. I'll say the title again. Pop star, never stop, never stopping. Because it's a bit of a tongue twister, but it's hilarious. So do give it a watch. That's your Wednesday night sorted. Moving on to Thursday, the movie that launched Kate Hudson, Almost Famous. And this is on Sony Movies at 9pm. If you're ever thinking about being a groupie for a band, you're going to want to watch this movie. Am I right? Absolutely. Now you say that it launched Kate Hudson. Who it wasn't Kate Hudson that started Failure to Launch, is it? It was was that Sarah Jessica Parker that started Failure to Launch. That's a shame. If it had been Kate Hudson, that would have been a great segue. This is you know iconic for that represent that image of Kate Hudson in the in the vest and pants on the bed. That's the poster. It's also you know it, it's a semi autobiographical film. I think for Cameron Crowe, it refers to a, when he was working for Rolling Stone in his teen years, his impressionable years, uh, following the band Stillwater, who I think are best represent presented by uh, Billy Crudup and, of course, this wonderful moment. I am a golden god! I am a golden god! Hey, Russell, don't jump! And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were... I'm on drugs! Now, be honest, in the 18, 19 years since this came out, how many times have you been stood on a tall structure and wanted to shout the words, I am a golden god? Because I've never been able to resist since this. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's just hard to find those structures nowadays, isn't it? Just, that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great movie, and one that I think, again, it doesn't really feel like it's aged in many ways, so you guys will definitely enjoy it. Sony Movies, 9 o'clock, that's your Thursday night sorted. You've got a really good selection this week coming up. It's pretty varied, it's got something for everyone there. Leading into Friday, something I feel is quite topical as, a mo- as well is uh, to watch is, is Selma, which is on BBC Two, really bizarrely so late at 11.20pm, but definitely one to hit record on. It follows, obviously, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and we're looking at kind of Alabama City being this battleground for the fight for suffrage. And it's all about Martin Luther King and all that kind of side of things. So if you feel that you need to be educated 
in a way. David Oyelowo's amazing performance is just incredible in this film. As long as I am unable to exercise my constitutional right to vote, I do not have command of my own life. I cannot determine my own destiny, for it is determined for me by people who would rather see me suffer than succeed. Those that have gone before us say, no more, no more. That means protest. That means march. That means disturb the peace. That means jail. That means risk. And that is hard. We will not wait any longer. Give us the vote. That's right. No more. We're not asking, we're demanding. Give us the vote. I agree, and I, I think it's it's brilliant that they're putting this on right now. This is this has, of course, been brought up in the discussion, in the, the cultural discussion in the past two weeks because of the treatment of it. There was a protest by the cast and crew of this film around the time it was coming out, and they, they now very firmly believe that's what cost it. It cost credibility. They were accused of stirring things, as they were called, for literally wearing the cast wearing T-shirts that said, I can't breathe, which is now obviously a repeated and quite prominent quote uh, wonderfully written and directed by Ava DuVernay fantastic performance by David Oyelowo as Martin Luther King wonderful performances in there as well from people like Tim Roth as Ia Whitlock as well a genuinely brilliant film a film that made, I remember sitting watching thinking it was absolutely terrific, filled me with rage as well yeah. but in, in that sort of great powerful, you know that great powerful motivating way that it was snubbed remains one of Hollywood's great failures. This is a film that directly contributed to hashtag Oscars So White, if you remember that. That was an astonishing four or five years ago now. And if there were any justice in the world, Oyelowo would have one best actor for this. But you can see that for yourself, 11.20, BBC Two on Friday night. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I'm, I'm sure you agree with me as well. Yeah, 100%. And if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with all the reading that you should be doing for, for you know, all the causes that are going out at the moment with, with Black Lives Matters and stuff, sometimes it's better to turn to the magic of film and let the stories kind of play out on a visual format to give you that emotion and, as you say, the rage that it gave you, Van. It, it's, it's really important to watch movies like these, especially when they're done as well as Selma is. So, as you said, BBC Two, 11.20pm. Do not miss it. Welcome back to Offscreen. We are joining you for our final section of today's show with our DVD, Blu-rays and streaming offerings. And as ever, we seem to have a longer and longer list of things that you can watch from the comfort of your own home on those shiny discs. So we're going to kick off with a big film that I think it did well. I don't think it did as well as everyone had hoped, but I thought it was really good. It is Birds of Prey. The, oh, I'm not even going to say the full title because I've forgotten Fantabulous <laughs> Emancipation of One of Harley Quinn, I think. It's the one that you need to fit in. It's the one that people forget. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Margot Robbie taking on that role from Suicide Squad that became iconic for her, even though the film flopped and made it into something new. And you know what? It was a whole load of fun. They're all here for me, aren't they? No. They're not? No, they're not. Do you know what that means? That means he's not just after the kid anymore. He's after all of us. Sure as hell after me. I just robbed him. You just betrayed him. You just killed his BFF. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. 
So, unless we all want to die very unpleasant deaths and let Roman go finger fishing in the kids' intestinal tract, we're gonna have to work together. The whole thing with Birds of Prey, of course, was that uh, the movie had the sort of... I'm not sure if it was good timing or bad, but it opened not long after the debut of the DC Universe Harley Quinn animated show, which is genuinely, and I never thought I would say this, one of the best television shows currently broadcasting. It is absolutely tremendous. That show is basically Archer with superheroes, and but also with quite a heavy feminist agenda as well, and it, it does it quite well. Brilliant work across the board, but... This is the live-action interpretation, and what they've done, whether it's through coincidence or intention, is go along a very similar line. So this is Harley Quinn finally having had enough and striking out her own, I don't need no man, I'm going to be the badass criminal now, I am no longer the girlfriend slash sidekick. I think it did fairly well. I would argue, as I'm, 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 you know, I'm a fan of Birds of Prey from, from long ago, less so the new era, what we call the new 52 comic books. So I'm not familiar with these particular characters in some cases, like Cassandra Cain, characters like that. But for my money, I really would have called this the Harley Quinn movie. I really wouldn't have called it Birds of Prey because it doesn't seem to bear an awful lot of resemblance to anything I know as Birds of Prey. Yeah, and I completely agree with that because I think the Harley Quinn is the selling point and I think the marketing slightly mm. changed after the first week of release just because the numbers weren't quite pulling in what the studios expected and I think it was a bit too little too late. It is unfortunate because it is a setup movie for what would have launched the Birds of Prey into future kind of offset franchise um, offerings but it just didn't do the numbers that it needed to in order to create that. But if you look at it as a Harley Quinn movie, you look at Margot Robbie's performance, you look at what she was trying to create, particularly in the first half of the movie, it works really well. It loses it a little bit in the second half. But if you're after that fun, colourful, out there, bonkers offering from this <laughs> character, you're going to get it. And how fun is Ewan McGregor as the villain is, as Black Mask? Yes, very much so. And, you know, controversially with his uh, with his other half as well, That's uh, he's, he's in the news for all the wrong reasons at the moment, but he does star in it with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is his other half at the moment in real life. It's all very bonkers and surreal, but hey-ho, it's a good movie, worth a watch. If you haven't caught it before, it's out on DVD and Blu-ray from Monday. Worth a watch more so than our second offering, I think. Yes, Doolittle, which well, we've already said, I think, is the worst tentpole movie of 2020 thus far. Admittedly, that's because there aren't many tentpole movies of 2020 thus far. We're kind of limited to about a half a dozen. I think Bad Boys for Life is still the highest grossing mainstream blockbuster of the year, I think. Wow. I, I, think, <laughs> I think I read that somewhere. It's a film that I think more people are going to watch when it hits Sky Cinema than anywhere else. Being a universal film, this is not going to wind up on Netflix or Amazon Prime because the Peacock Network will have launched in a few months' time as well, so it'll wind up on there. It's rubbish. It's a, it's a hackneyed mess that clearly got butchered in post-production and through various sets of reshoots. The production history on it is actually more interesting than the film itself, and I say that as me, as the Robert Downey Jr. fan, and it breaks my heart to do it. I'm sorry, this is a career low for Tony Stark. So, on to something that's a little, not more upbeat, but more impressive, and it's Ordinary Love Drama starring Liam Neeson. And this is, this is a story of a, of a couple, you know, a middle-aged, upper middle-aged couple dealing with breast cancer. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm just going to play the clip, because if I talk too much about it, I'm probably going to cry again. What's going to happen if I've got cancer? There's no point in saying it like that. No. You don't know. You can't do anything until you know. I know. I know I've got it. So you're a doctor now? 
You don't have to be a doctor to know things like that. Yes, you do. I know that three is closer to five, and I know I've got breast cancer. OK. Well, what are you going to do now? I know. Correct. Because you can't do anything because you don't know. Well, that's not an answer. Nobody wants to see you cry, Van. That's the problem. <laughs> exactly. Now, I, I will tell you, I, I, sat in, I sat in the screening room. We had a fire alarm go off in the middle of this movie at Universal, and we all had to wait outside for about an hour, and then we went back and they just resumed the movie. And we didn't skip an emotional beat. We just went right back to crying. It's a real, it's a really emotional movie. I, 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 I can't recommend this one highly enough, especially if you have any you know, experience in with anyone in your life who's ever had a cancer diagnosis. It's very raw, it's very heartfelt, it's very nuanced, it, it, it's not afraid to go quite bleak with it. Uh, I thought it was a genuinely wonderful film. And very much worth the watch there. So that is Ordinary Love, which is available for you to watch as well. Now, again, we've got a couple more movies for you on this side of things uh, with the DVD and Blu-rays. So The Call of the Wild is our next offering. What do you think we make of this one, Van? Uh, this is Harrison Ford and the CGI Dog. Do you know what? It's pretty good. Based on, you know, the classic novel, The Call of the Wild, which I think is from the 1920s, I think, originally. It's like an American classic. I've never read it. Say It is one of those things like Catcher in the Rye that only Americans read at school but aside from the cg dog which is very uncanny valley it's actually a really good movie again i cried at this you know i i, I longed for my own former dog and uh, I, I thought harrison ford harrison ford in the wilderness with a big dog named buck for company and nothing else he's in his element i haven't seen harrison ford enjoying himself this much in years and i include the star wars movies in there worth catching definitely one for the whole family i would say Okie dokie. Now, I, I, I want to talk about this last offering. First, it's got a very long title, but secondly, it's incredibly colourful as well. And that's what I really remember from this. This is the personal history of David Copperfield. Now, whether or not you've read the book or not, you're going to see what is called colourblind casting, which I think is fantastic in this, as Dev Patel leads an amazing cast in a very well put together version of the David Copperfield story. So he essentially is an orphan who wants to make his way in the world and it's following his adventures as he goes from, I suppose, humble beginnings through to creating a much more expensive and lavish life for himself. I was convinced the famous soprano was practicing upstairs. Oh, exciting, who? No, I... Uh... I mean to say, it, it turned out to be you. Oh, I see. A compliment. Thank you. Copperfield. I have to go. Proctor. You could come up after my next lesson. I can sing you a piece. Thank you. I'll, I'll bring something to throw at you. As in a, a bouquet of flowers. Uh, yes. <laughs> And do you know what? I liked this to a point. I think, what, you know, it, it's like the horror genre in a way where it's got to be something new to keep audiences coming back and wanting more. Now, this came out just before Emma came out at the cinemas. <laughs> of course, yeah. And out of the two, I loved Emma. I wonder if I just take to the story a little bit better than I do with this one. But bravo to the cast and the crew for turning around something that I think is very different and reimagining this story. 
And of course, uh, wonderful direction from Armando Iannucci, who I think for the very first time is, is directing an adaptation. I think it's because he has a reverence for the source material, a personal love of the source material. We, of course, know him more for things like In the Loop, The Thick of It, uh, Death of Stalin, which I was a very big fan of. Personal History of David Copfield, I don't think is as great a film as any of his own creations. I think it's a you know, good adaptation for what it is. I remember the book from school. But I think this is one for the, for the Dickensian fans above all else. I think it's a solid adaptation, though. I think it's a great reinvention. As, as you say, the colorblind casting does prove to be a revelation because Dev Patel is terrific in this. I will say as well, though, big fan of Peter Capaldi, new Laurie in there. Definitely, definitely. So worth a watch if you are a big Dickens fan and you think this might be something that reinvents the wheel a little bit when it comes to one of your favorite books. So let's move on to streaming and see what we've got there. We've got a, we've got a trilogy ready to kick off and what a trilogy it is as well. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because Amazon Prime have dedicated themselves since lockdown to acquiring film collections rather than individual films. So they did Oceans, Lord of the Rings, you know, franchises like that. And this is, of course, the mother of all trilogies for people our age because this is our childhood in a box right here. It's the Back to the Future trilogy, which is going to be available in its entirety on Amazon Prime from this coming Sunday, June the 14th. Do not miss it. I mean, if you've never seen Back to the Future, what are you doing with your life? They're just masterpieces. Even the third one, I know some people rag on the third one. I think the third one's a classic as well. I think they're all great. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is fun. And, and again, I was talking to you earlier. I watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure <laughs> last night and I just recaught on it. And I was, I was just thinking, it doesn't age. It's like this beautiful grading and cinematography and, and side of things and the humor. It's just, it transports you right back to your childhood. And that's exactly what Back to the Future will do as well. Fantastic performances, as always, from Michael J. Fox and also Christopher Lloyd. Amazing, amazing direction from Robert Zemeckis. And what a way to get some escapism if you're locked in between your four walls. You just want to go and have fun. This is the movie to do it. It's the best comedy you'll ever see about incest and beating up your mum's attempted rapist. So, on to the second Ardman film of the week. <laughs> That's what it is. Let's call it what it is. Right. I never Our second Ardman film. Like it. <laughs> So on Amazon Prime from Thursday, June the 18th, our second Ardman film of the week, it is Farmageddon, a Shaun of the Sheep movie, basically a silent film in which the characters of the Shaun the Sheep series, the spin-off of the Watson Gromit universe, uh, have to deal with extraterrestrials landing on Earth and basically have to do the plot of E.T. Uh, we've not got a clip because it is basically a silent film. I pushed for time anyway. I can tell you it is absolutely wonderful. It's a lovely film. It's gorgeously animated, obviously with classic Ardman stop motion and claymation. It is, however, also gut-bustingly hilarious. If you know your sci-fi references, if you know references to Close Encounters, E.T., things like that, this is chock full of them. I cannot recommend it highly enough. We were howling with laughter in the screening for this. There was not, there was not a dry seat in the house because everyone just peed themselves laughing. It was, it was absolutely one of, one of the best mornings I have ever had as a critic was watching this film. I know James King was was sat near me. He, he had a whale of a time as well. Do check it out. Come Thursday the 18th. If you've got young children and they know the series, or even if they don't know the series, show them this movie. I think more people need to see Farmageddon. It is an absolute belter of a family animated class. 
And I thought I'd just leave Van to that because I'm still recovering about what he said about Back to the Future. So um, <laughs> on that note, what a way to end our show with Farmageddon. What a great animated uh, movie. And I'm going to go and recover, uh, maybe take a cold shower after that conversation as well. So uh, <laughs> let's, um, let's move on and uh, look at towards next week. We're going to be bringing you more brilliant movies for lockdown um, from your digital platforms through to what's on TV and, of course, streaming on D- DVD and Blu-ray as well so make sure you stick with us but for now I've been Bex Perfect I've been Van Connor and this has been Off Screen so we'll see you again next week 